Good morning. It's good to see you today. If you consider yourself a visitor, we want to say welcome. We are very happy that you're here. We hope and pray that this assembly will be a great blessing to you. Uh, I hope that God's Word and the study of it will also fill your hearts and your minds with truth this morning. Uh, as Brother Justin was talking on Wednesday night, we've been going through the book of John, and he was studying with us John chapter 8, and one of the things that Jesus points out there is that slavery is the result of living a life of sin. And that's really not a concept that we may completely grasp at times, and I'm not sure we can ever really completely grasp all of the truths of that statement, but it, it made me think about this story. And I uh, appreciate Brother John reading this section of this chapter today, and uh, there's, we could look at the whole chapter because it all goes together, and, and we could talk about the fact that, that Jesus was pointing out some things to the Pharisees about their self-righteousness. And I really don't want to focus on that. I believe that was his intended audience there. He was trying to teach them, them being represented by this older brother of the story. But I really don't want to talk about the older brother this morning. There's a lot we can learn from the older brother. But I want to just look at the younger brother today. Uh, it's not a lot of verses, but there's so much in this story to teach us about being in the Father's house, leaving the Father's house, what happens when we leave the Father's house, and what happens when we come back to the Father's house. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. So I've just entitled our lesson, The Lost Son. Uh, we often call him the prodigal son, and we'll talk about the word prodigal in, here in a few moments. But I want to start in verse 11. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So Jesus begins to tell this story, this parable, if you will, about a father, a father who had two children. And he says, the younger of those two came to the father and he said, I want you to give me everything that's coming to me. And what he's talking about is the inheritance. Now, the younger son wasn't entitled to as much inheritance as the older, uh, the older son was, but nevertheless, he was entitled to something. And he said, I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want my inheritance today. And so what did the father do? He divided his livelihood between the two sons. You know, everybody is entitled in some way or another when it comes to their parents. This man has gotten out of hand. And his demand here is unreasonable for one. It's unreasonable. But he's already set a plan in his mind. That's the problem. And we see that here in the text in verse 13. Not many days after. After what? After the father's given him what's coming to him. Not many days after it says the younger son gathered all together. He got all of his stuff together. And what did he do? He journeyed to a far country. I know we've read this story multiple times, and I, I just want to ask you today, have you ever stopped to ask why he left the father's house? Why did he go to a far country? I mean, he's got what he asked for. Why not just stay there and enjoy his money? I'll tell you why. Because what he wanted to do, he couldn't do in the father's house. He couldn't go and live in prodigal living in the father's house. So he left the father's house, and he didn't just leave the father's house. He went far away from the father, and there's a reason. Because he wanted what a lot of young people want when they're inside their parents' home. He wanted freedom. That's what he wanted. 
He wanted freedom to choose. He wanted freedom to indulge. He wanted freedom from authority. He wanted freedom from rules. In fact, he wanted freedom from reliance. Because see, if he stayed in the father's house and he doesn't have the goods, what's he have to do? He has to depend on dad. But he didn't want that. So he wanted freedom. And the father says, okay, here's all your stuff. And he went and he was free. He's free. And what did he do? He took everything that his father blessed him with and he wasted it. It doesn't say he invested it. It says he wasted it. Everything. He wasted all of it with prodigal living. First John chapter 3 says this. It says, no one who abides in him. I want you to think about that. Being in the Father's house, staying in the Father's house, being with God, connected to God, having a relationship with God. That's what he's talking about when he says, abides in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And it doesn't mean know about him. It means known him, had a relationship with him. That's what First John's, that's what the first epistle John wrote is about, about knowing God, about being connected to God. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, that's God or Christ, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, listen, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What is he saying here? He's saying you cannot live in sin and stay in the Father's house. That's what he's saying. You cannot stay connected to God and live like the devil. He says if you practice sin... You're not born of God. What's that mean, born of God? It means a child of God. He says, you're a child of the devil. If you live and you practice in sin, that's where you are residing. Now, I want to notice verse 9 particularly. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. What does that mean, God's seed abides in him? Are there any other verses that we can think of that connect this idea of being born of God and God's seed? Let's look at 1 Peter for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Having been born again, that's what John was talking about, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through or by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, for this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. What's that seed? It's God's word. And he says, when someone's born of God, the seed abides in them. And that seed moves them toward what? To live in righteousness, to practice righteousness, just as he is righteousness. But when someone leaves the father's house and they go and they live and they practice him, what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. The seed is not in them anymore. They've rejected the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've refused their identity. They've denied their sonship. And that's exactly what this young man wanted to do. He denied his sonship. He didn't want to be a son anymore. He wanted to be the boss. He wanted to be free. And so he got it. He got it. He got his freedom. And it says not many days after he got his freedom, the son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I'm going to tell you something. When you leave the father's house and you go live in prodigal living, there's not a farther country you could be in. We're not further from God than when we're living in sin. The word prodigal here that's translated, this is from the New King James, by the way. I believe riotous is the word that we read this morning from the King James. Prodigal means recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources or licentious. 
It means what you think it means. It means he went out and he indulged in sin. He went and he lived in pleasure. That's what he did. You know what he did? He took all of the blessings God gave him, the Father. That's who the Father represents in his story. All those blessings, and he did what felt good. That's what he did. He went and lived and did what felt good. Luke 15, 14, when he had spent all. Give me what's coming to me. And he gathered all. And he left and he went into this land. And what's he got now? Nothing. It's gone. He spent it all. And then it says there rose a famine in that land and he began to be in want. You know, that's what this land is. It's not a land of freedom. It's not a land of plenty. The land of sin, outside of the Father's house, it's a land of famine. And I'll tell you, what people think they're going to do is go out and live in that place and it's going to fill them full of goodness. It's going to fill them full of the good feelings. It's going to fulfill them and satisfy them. And I'll tell you what this man has found. Hunger and want. He wanted his freedom. And now he's got it. And he's got nothing left. There's nothing left. 1 Timothy 5 and 6 says this of young widows. He's, he's talking about the difference between a widow indeed and a, and a, and a widow who's younger and, and whether or not the church has an obligation to support them. And he said, here's what I, I command you. He said, the younger widows, he said, I want them to go out. He said, I want them to, to marry. I want them to remarry. He said, I want them to guide the house. I want them to live like a godly woman. He said, and the church shouldn't have to take care of them. And here's why. Because if the church does and she's just sitting around doing nothing, this is what's going to happen. She's going to become self-indulgent. And here's what he says about being self-indulgent. When you're self-indulgent, you're dead while you live. Now that phrase that we're thinking about there, dead while you live, obviously she's alive physically, but he said she's dead. Isn't that what the, the father said when the son came home? My son who was dead is alive again. He didn't go out there and literally die, but he was dead while he was living. Why? Because he was living for pleasure. But you know, the reality is, before he went into the far country, he was already in the far country, here and here. That's where he was. You know, the, the crazy thing is, you can be physically present in the Father's house and in the far country, here and here. And I'll tell you how I know that, because that's where I was for years. We were always at church, weren't we, Dad? We were always at church. We didn't have Wednesday night services, but if, if, if the church door was open, we were there, and I was there. Even after I moved out, I was at church for quite a while, physically. But my heart and my mind was in the far country. You know where I ended up? In the far country. He's already decided where he wants to be. He wants to live dead. Now, you think that's what he thought? No, that was the furthest thing from his mind. I'm going to go live it up, we might say. But the truth is, that's not how life works. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, as Solomon describes this life of indulgence and a filling of the flesh, he says this, The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. You may read that like the first time I did and think, what in the world is he talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the weather patterns. What we watch the news and they call the hydrologic cycle. What is that? So the wind comes up out of the sea. It's called evaporation. It goes up into the air. It turns into clouds and the clouds get real heavy and they rain down. And where's that water go? Back into the sea, and then it runs back, and then it evaporates again, and it's just this constant pattern of water just moving. 
And you look at that and you go, okay, well, the, the river's flowing into the sea and it's always flowing into the sea, but for some reason, the sea is never full. Why is that? Because the water that's flowing into the sea came from the sea. <laughs> that, and what's he saying? That's life. And that's what happens when you try to fill your flesh. Oh, you can feel like you're getting full because you're constantly pouring in. But where are those things coming from? From within yourself? From within your flesh? And I'll tell you what you're doing is you, you got this cup with a hole in the bottom of it. And if you pour fast enough, the cup will fill. And in fact, it'll pour over the rim. But the problem is as soon as you stop pouring, all the water drains out of it. That's your flesh. Oh, you can get the illusion of feeling satisfied, the illusion of fullness, if you pour fast enough. That's why people struggle with addiction, folks, because they feel like if I just pour faster, if I just put in more, I'm going to get the feeling that I want. That's why people are addicted to sex, because they want more and more and more of the feeling, more of the excitement. And I'll tell you what it does. It leaves them empty, so they pour more and then pour more. And God did not design our bodies to be satisfied that way. It doesn't work. Never works. It's just like this. It's futile. It's vanity. It's grasping for the wind. You're trying to catch the uncatchable and fill the unfillable cup. There's never enough. And this man's gone out to fill that cup. And he poured and he poured and he poured. And what was he left with? An empty cup. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will of the flesh or from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap everlasting or eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, the first thing that really stands out to me right here is this. God is not mocked. When that father gave that boy those blessings... You know what he knew? What was about to happen. Because that's not normal. It's not normal. He, he knows what's going to happen. And so he allows him to take those blessings and allows him to leave. And you know what? God's not going to stop you either. You know, Jesus said he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's true. God blesses ungodly people with physical things all the time. He's not going to stop you. He will let you choose. And so this person's made this choice. And so what does he do? He goes and he begins to sow and he begins to sow. And maybe it's an outdated phrase now, but he began to sow his wild oats. That's what he's doing. My question is, what do you expect when you sow something? When you reap it, what do you expect? To get what you sowed, right? I mean, you plant peppers, you don't expect cucumbers, right? You expect peppers to come up because you sowed what? Pepper seed. What's he sowing here? Fleshly seed. What's he going to get? Corruption. And I don't know why, but for some reason, we are deceived. We think God is mocked. We go out and we sow to the flesh, and we just think, well, maybe I'll have a crop failure this time. <laughs> or maybe I'm going to reap good things from sowing corruptible seed. I'm going to tell you what you're going to reap in life if you sow to the flesh. Number one, you're going to reap rottenness. That's what you're going to reap is rottenness. Your reputation, destroyed. Your relationships, destroyed. Your peace and your joy, gone. You don't believe that? Well, very closely listen to this story that Jesus is telling. Because this boy is alone. He's alone. He's got nothing. Nothing. That's where you'll live in life. If you decide, I'm the most important person in the world, I'm the center of the universe, and you sow in selfishness to the flesh, that's where you're going to end up. Alone with nothing. God is not mocked. 
You know this last phrase we sometimes ignore in verse 9. This is a very important phrase, and I'll tell you why. Because when we're doing good, sometimes we don't get the harvest that we want out of doing good. And that's why it says, you got to be patient. The problem with this up here is we want instant gratification. We want a good feeling now. We want excitement now. We want the adrenaline rush now. We want the euphoria now. Well, you can have now, but what you don't get is later. You sow good things, you get a harvest later. You get good things later. And he says, be patient while you're doing the right things, while you're practicing righteousness, because a harvest of good things is coming, but it doesn't come right now. It's not now. You've got to be patient. So what does he do? He's got nothing. He has no one. So he goes, and it says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now, this word joined here is a very interesting word. It's the same word that Paul uses when he talks about someone being joined to a harlot or being joined to Christ in 1 Corinthians 6. Joined to. What's he mean? This is his closest relationship now. He's united himself with what? A citizen of that country. What country? The land of sin. He's joined to him. You know why? Because he's got nothing. He's desperate. He's got to find somebody in life that'll help him. And here's what this guy does. He goes and sends him out into the fields to feed swine. Now, I fed pigs. Maybe you fed pigs. We don't look at that the same way that they would have looked at this. This was a Jewish boy feeding the unclean swine. To the Jews, swine are pointless. They're useless. They're not good for meat. You know a pig's not good for anything if they're not good for meat. Because <laughs> that's all they're good for. But these are unclean animals. They were not allowed to eat these. Now, we can eat those, but they couldn't. So he's joined himself to the master of the unclean to live his life in service of feeding the unclean. He's not in a good spot. And it says he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. I've never been that hungry. What we fed the pigs was what we didn't want. I'll tell you, people kept a slop bucket. That wasn't leftovers. <laughs> no person in their right mind was going to eat the slop bucket. That was for the pig. The pigs will eat anything. They'll eat each, each other for that matter. They'll eat anything. That's how bad this is. Even though this guy's joined himself, maybe this guy's given him a place to live, he's still hungry. He's still in want, so desperate that he's looking at what he's feeding these pigs and going, that's starting to look kind of good. And look at the last phrase. And no one gave him anything. This is what freedom looks like. He wanted freedom to choose, and his choices brought him pain. He wanted freedom to indulge, and it brought him poverty. He wanted freedom from rules, and it brought him chaos. He wanted freedom from authority, and now it's brought him into lawlessness. And I'm telling you, he has nothing, and he has no one. And I'll tell you, that's because there's no love in this place. And I'll tell you, you can go join yourself to people in this place. I've done it. And you think they're your friends. Sometimes you think they're your closest friends, and I'll tell you why. Because you're doing the same things they're doing. And as long as you're doing the same things that, you're, that they're doing, and you're not a leech, they're fine to be your friend. But the moment you need them in a time of desperation and hardship, where are they? Gone. You know why? Because they're the center of their universe too. There's no love. There's no true compassion in this land. Now, you may think, well, I know an exception. I know a person who's living in sin, and sometimes they're giving and they're... I'm not saying there's not a person. I'm telling you what the norm is, what the typical situation is. When you're outside the Father's house, living in indulgence in sin, don't be surprised if you find yourself alone and there's no one there to help you. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Why is he there? Because he moved there. He packed his stuff up. And he put his roots down right here in the middle of the land of corruption and famine. 
That's what he did. He didn't know that, but that's exactly what he did. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You know, I, I think we do our young people a disservice sometimes. We, we, try, we don't want to lie to them, but we, we sort of gloss over something that is a truth of life. Because we want to protect them, right? We, we don't want them to go out and explore and experiment. I don't want that for my kids either. I don't want them to do that. But let's not lie. Let's not lie. Sin is pleasurable. If it wasn't, nobody would do it. Nobody would sin if it wasn't pleasurable. It is pleasurable. That's why people sin. But here's the reality. That pleasure, it passes. It's gone. It's not joy. It's not happiness. It's not contentment. It's just a moment of pleasure. Now Moses, understand what it's saying about Moses. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What kind of pleasures could Moses have had if he would have accepted the title son of Pharaoh's daughter? I'll tell you what pleasure. Any pleasure. Because that was a land of paganism. If you wanted money, you got it. You want substances to, to get high or to get drunk, you got it. You want women? You got it. You want food? You've got it. You want somebody to throw you a party? You got it. And everybody will bow down to your ego and tell you how wonderful you are because you're the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have had any pleasure he wanted. You know what he chose? Pain. What? Yeah, that's right. He chose to suffer in life rather than to indulge in life. Why? Because he knew there was a harvest coming. And it wasn't right now. It was later. But it was a greater harvest than the momentary pleasures of sin could give him. You know, this made me think of the two brothers, the two twins, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob is later renamed Israel. And so when it talks about the children of Israel, it's talking about Jacob's descendants. But this situation is a very unique situation. And this story is there for a reason. Jacob, it says, cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I'm weary. Therefore was his name called Edom, okay? Red or ruddy, Edom, because of the red stew. Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now I just want you to think about this. This is two siblings and you know how siblings are sometimes. And these two guys were, they, they obviously didn't connect on all, on, on all points. And so they're having a little issue here. And just as you know, brothers do sometimes, the other brothers, Jacob sees Esau coming in and he is very tired and he's very hungry. He's been out all day. And Esau says, man, that smells good. Hey, brother, give me some of your food. And Jacob goes, all right, what do you give me? I mean, that's what he's saying. What do you give me? I'll tell you what, you want some of this? Sell me your birthright. You know, maybe he's just fishing. You know, let's just see how bad he wants his food. Give me your birthright. Now, everybody stop for just a moment. Let's just do a transaction estimate here. Is that a good trade to sell someone your birthright for a bowl of food? Not a good trade, right? But yet Esau goes, look, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. No, you're not. You're just tired and hungry. But he feels that way at this moment. I've got to have it. I need it. I'm going to die without it. I'll give you anything if you'll just give me that. I'll give you anything. 
go, go ahead, take, what's the birthright going to do for me if I'm dead? Just take it. Jacob's like, look, if we're going to do this, you're going to have to swear. You make an oath. Basically, that's our today's equivalent of saying, you sign a contract, because I know this is a bad deal, and you're going to regret it later, so you swear. Birthright for beans. And he swear. He swear. That's foolish, right? That's foolish. But at the moment, you know what Esau thought? This is the best choice for me right now. Hebrews 12 picks this story up later when it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now, don't disconnect this and think he's saying Esau was a fornicator. No, he was a profane person. He was profane. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, oh wait, we forgot to think about that, didn't we? See, he wasn't thinking about afterward. He's thinking about now. But you know how that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. One moment he's saying, I've got to have it. It's the most important thing in the world. I'll give you everything I've got if you just give it to me because I'm going to die without it. And the next moment, he is crying, saying, please give me my birthright back. And the question's why. And you know why. Because just like when we go down here, some of y'all are going to eat too much, right? But in the moment, you're just feeding your face. You go, this is so delicious. And after you go, oh my. This is terrible. I'm not going to eat anything for the rest of the day. But about 6 o'clock tonight, you're going to go, I'm hungry. Because <laughs> that's the way our flesh is, right? I mean, we get full for a while. We feel satisfied for a while. And, you know, the next morning, Esau wakes up. And guess what? He's hungry. And he realizes he traded something lasting for something that lasted a moment. You may not recognize this, but I want you to really recognize the truth of what he's saying here in Hebrews when you trade your eternal life and your sonship for the pleasures of sin, you lose. You lose. And there's a day of reckoning coming. And we're not going to be able to fall down at the Father's feet and say, but I want it back. I want it back. Give it back. No, you made your choice. You signed it away. And if you live in sin and you stay away from the Father's house for the rest of your life, that's your choice. You moved there. You signed the deal. And you can't come crying back and say, this is not fair. Because God gives everybody the choice. And when he came to himself, wait, what? You know what that implies? He was insane. This young son is insane when he's living in the land of sin. Just like David was insane when he killed Uriah. He was insane. He was blind. Until he came to himself when Nathan said, you did this. What happened? His eyes were open. He came to himself. And he was distraught. This boy is sitting there in the pig pen and he wakes up and he goes, this is dumb. What am I doing? I mean, even the servants in the father's house, they have bread enough and to spare. And I'm dying here with hunger. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the father and I'm going to say, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I am not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired servant. You know what's interesting? He wanted freedom. He wanted freedom and he got it. And now what does he want? Just to be a servant. Isn't that interesting? He didn't want to be a son, but now he's willing to be a servant. Perspective matters, doesn't it? And he's got a lot of it right now. And he is willing to go and fall at the father's feet and say, I'm not worthy of you. And so that's where he's headed. He's exalted himself. And what's happened? He's been humbled. Now he wants to humble himself. And let's just see if Jesus' words come true, that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So he goes to the father and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you imagine the fear that he must have felt as he was traveling home? 
about what that was going to be like when he saw the father? I want you to know I can imagine that fear because I felt it. I remember when I first came back to the father's house. I don't mean this father. I mean the father. I thought, what are people going to say? They know. They know where I've been. What are they going to say? I thought, how are they going to look at me? I'll tell you what I felt like everybody was going to do is go, you know why? Because I was filthy. I bet that's what he feels like. I've betrayed them. I've betrayed my father. And yet, what did the father do? He saw him a great way off. You know what that tells us? I don't know if they had porches, but maybe the father was sitting out on the porch watching that line of sight on that road coming home every single day, just waiting to see his boy's face. You know, maybe like my father, the father was praying every day that his son would come home. But I'll tell you, when he saw him, he didn't turn his back and go in and lock the door. He didn't say to his hired servants, you go out and you tell that scumbag to get off my property. He saw him and he ran and he grabbed him and he held him and he kissed him. And I'll tell you, if you're lost in the land of sin, that's what God wants to do for you. He wants to embrace you. And you know, this boy's rehearsed this great speech. He's already decided what he's going to say to the father and he doesn't get to do that. He's got that all planned out. But here's what happens. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, you remember the speech. He was going to say, just make me a hired servant. But he doesn't even get that out. The father says to the servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the best robe and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The best robe was the robe kept in the homes of people who had some means. So when a nobleman or someone of importance came to their house, they got to wear that robe as a robe of honor. Put a ring on his hand. You know what that was? It was a sign of authority. He's a son again. To the servants, he's a son again. Now, did he deserve that? No, he did not. He did not deserve that. I'll tell you what he probably deserved is for the father to say, get out of my house. But that's not who God is. When he came home, God said, my son is home. And we're going to rejoice and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to kill the fatted calf, and we're going to make merry because my son that was dead is alive. He's alive. Thankful that the son was home. I want to leave you today with a passage from Psalm 65. The psalmist says, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Now listen closely. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. I'll tell you, outside the Father's house, there's loneliness and emptiness, but in the Father's house, there's satisfaction, there's peace, there is joy. And I'll tell you, maybe you're here physically today, but in the far country here and here, and I want you to know what God wants you to do. Just come home, just come home. And say, Father, I've sinned against you. You know what he'll do? He'll restore you. And he'll give back the peace that you've lost because of your sin. He'll clean your conscience. And he'll honor you as a child. Today, if you're lost, if you're that son, come home. Come home right now as we stand and we sing.